0: Hey, Victory family, I am so excited to be with you today. And today we close our series in the book of Philippians. Hey, if if maybe you're just now jumping in and you don't really know what I'm talking about over the past three weeks, and of course today, we have taken the book of Philippians and gone verse by verse, seeing what Paul is saying to the church in Philippi, but also to us. I'm going to give just kind of a quick background. The apostle Paul plants this church in a place called Philippi and then he continues to go on about his missionary journey and he writes this letter and sends it back to the church in Philippi because one of this is what this was a great church a diverse church a church that was generous a church that was service minded and so he writes this letter and he begins to just kind of remind them of who they are and what they're about and so we built this series off the theme of a family meeting and it's a time for us Victory Church to be reminded about what we are about And our values and our standards. And so, again, we've just kind of been breaking it down verse by verse. And today we will end it by reading chapter four. But before we do that, I just want to hit some of the bullet points that we have brought up through Paul's letter over the past couple of weeks. So, here's some of the things that we've learned so far we've learned that we have to let our love mature. And Paul said that we grow in our love, our love grows by knowledge. And so, the more that I know about you, the more my love can grow for you, whether it's a friend, a family member, or even God. He taught us to find confidence in our chains. And what that means is to put purpose in our pain. He, he was in prison. He said, even these chains are for Christ. So no matter what I'm going through, if I give it to the Lord, the Lord can use it for his purpose. He also taught us to value others above ourselves. And that was kind of a big point for us, especially in a season like this. It's really, really important that you and I learn to value other people above ourselves. He taught us to choose to lose now so that we can win later. And that sometimes there's things in life that are are small things, that if we would just choose the humble direction, right? If we would take an L, then we could later see a W or a win for the kingdom of God. He also taught us to keep working on me while God is working in me. And that there's a process where as I'm maturing as a Christian, the Holy Spirit is working in me and it's important that I continue to work on me and that I'm becoming a better Christian. He taught us to make every effort that no matter what's happening when it comes to the people around us and loving other people in Christ and for Christ, when it comes to the lost, when it comes to the hurting, when it comes to those who are addicted or or who are disenfranchised, to make every effort to help them find healing, to help them be restored, to help them find salvation. He taught us to put our confidence in Christ alone and not to put our confidence in our plan or or the protocol not to put our confidence in other people and certainly not to put our confidence in ourselves and our good deeds but to put confidence in christ alone then he taught us that the closer we get to god's plan often the further we are from our plan right sometimes we kind of get together what we think god's gonna do and the closer we get to god's actual purpose in the moment sometimes the further we get away from our picture right the way we thought it would be And then he taught us to really live, we must continually die. And the concept there was just, if we're really going to come alive in Jesus, then we have to die to our flesh. And that's just some of the nuggets, if you've been following along with us the past couple of weeks, that's just a few bullet points that Paul has taught us through these four chapters, or technically three chapters so far, of this small book. It's just rich. With knowledge. And I, and I think we're going to see some of the best things Paul says in chapter four. So grab your pens, grab your notepads, get your Bibles, your phones, whatever it is. And let's get ready to dive into Philippians chapter four. All right. So we're going to start with verse number one. It says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for my joy and crown stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. So Paul starts off by saying, hey, you're my trophy. He starts off saying, you're, you're my pride and joy, right? I, I love you, church, is the way he starts off. And then he says, I plead with Euodia U- and I plead with Sentiki to be of the same mind in the Lord. So there's a couple of people in that church that are starting to kind of have some disagreements and battles. I don't know why they can't be named, you know, Tom and Jerry, but they're in the church and they're starting to kind of fight and, and and have some some quarrels. And he says, yes, I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since they have, watched this, contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, hey, look, these people have been with me in the trenches. These people have helped me plant this church. These people have helped me make a difference for the kingdom of God. Let's be reminded that in our differences, we have something in common, and that is Christ. This is so important. Again, he's realizing that, hey, this church is strong. This church is making a huge difference and the enemy wants to sow disunity. And so he's calling out certain people and he's calling out situations and he's saying, hey, listen, don't get carried away. Let's remember that we have something in common and that is the love and the calling of Jesus Christ. And let's remember that we're doing this together and let's be about the kingdom of God. And then he goes on, I feel like in our Bibles, it says our final exhortations. And I I like to say he's going to give us four things, four final thoughts that you and I, and I really want to encourage you, if you haven't taken notes up at this point, please take notes on this, write this in your Bible, write it in your iPhones, write it on a notepad and put it in the refrigerator. Because the four things that Paul's about to show us, I think if we can really apply these to our lives, set us up to be very mature in Christ. All right, so you ready? You got your pens? You got your phones? You ready to type up? Here we go. Four things. Number one is this. Pray about everything. Paul says, pray about everything. Watch this. Picking up at Philippians 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Watch what he says in verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation. So do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present present your requests to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The first thing that Paul is telling us is this, pray about everything. When you're anxious, when you're fearful, when you're worried, pray about it. I think this is so important. Paul is basically saying this. There is nothing in your life, nothing that God does not have an interest in. Everything. He wants you to talk to him about everything. God wants to know about your job opportunities. God wants to know how you're doing as a parent. God wants to know how you're doing in your health. God wants to know how you're doing in your finances. Paul is saying everything about your life, God has an interest in. And the answer is this. Pray about Everything. Say, say everything. Push the person that's beside you and say, everything. God wants you to pray about everything. He, he's given us the answer to the test. You remember when you were in school and and the teacher had a test they would give you, but they had the answer key. And if you could ever get a hold of that answer key to kind of see what the answers were. Paul says, I'm going to give you the answer key to life, and it's the answer to every problem that you could possibly have. And here's the answer. You ready? Prayer. It starts with prayer. Now, that now he's gonna to continue to show us some things to build on top of it, but it starts with prayer. Now, now I wanna, again, if you've been coming to Victory for a while, if you've been a part of our church for a while, you've heard me talk about this many, many times. We are a church that believes in prayer. But in case you've been tuning in recently, or maybe you're new today to watching, I wanna kind of give you an idea of, of how I implement prayer in my life so that maybe it can encourage you, maybe it can spark some ideas in your mind. I realized years ago, that especially with what I do for a living in the in the idea of pastoring, that if I didn't learn a steady prayer life with the Lord, that my anxiety and my worry and my depression and my fear and all the uncertainties that I face on a daily basis would overcome me. And I remember putting in a plan and I won't go through all the details, but I'll just tell you what I do today. when I wake up in the morning, the first thing I do is I go to the gym and I made sure when we moved here that I found a gym that had one of those walkway paths around it. And I get there and I put my headphones in and for 30 minutes to an hour, however long it really takes, sometimes it's different depending on what I'm dealing with, I just begin to walk and pray. I put on a, a worship playlist that I've heard a thousand times, so my interest is not in the song. The song has really become white noise or, or background noise to to be able to you know uh, deal with the, the voices around me, people talking. And I just zone out and I begin to walk and pray. And I'll be honest with you, I have kind of a routine. I just start off by thanking God for everything from my wife, to my kids, to you, to my health, to everything. And then I move into just kind of being able to, to focus on certain prayer requests. And I have this prayer request list on my phone and I go through them. And as God answers them, I check them so that I can go back and see all that God has has done. And then past that, I've told this to the church. Sometimes I have a lamenting moment where I I complain to God or I get mad at God for something that's happening. Sometimes I zone out, you know, it's okay. Sometimes I have ADD and I'm like, oh, look, squirrel. And I come back to prayer. like, sorry, God, like these things happen. But it's in that 30 minutes to an hour where I promise you by the time I leave it, something has happened. God has taken my anxiety and he's traded it out with his peace. We were having dinner with some friends recently and they asked the question, and I said, how, how do you do this when everybody's coming to you with with their difficulties or their problems or their their current prayer requests who do you go to and and certainly we have some mentors in our lives and some some close friends that are there for us but I remember telling telling our friends we said prayer that's why prayer is so important in our lives because it's something about being able to take that to God whether it's something we're praying about for you or whether it's something that's personal in our life And, and it's been priceless to me and if there's anything Anything that you could ever hear me say, if I died and I could put something on a tombstone that you would remember forever, it would be to establish a consistent prayer life in your life because it'll change you. And then Paul realizes it. Paul says, look, if you have anxiety, if you have a problem, if you have depression or whatever it is, start praying. And he even says it, he says, you start off thanking God, and then you start off giving your request to God. He said, prayer, petition, talking to God, and then with thanksgiving. So he's given us the pattern. We thank God for all that we have. We cry out to God in prayer, and we give him through petition, our prayer request. And God supernaturally takes our anxiety, takes our worry, and gives us back his peace and understanding that, that, trans- that, that goes past our ability to understand, right? Because... How could we have peace in the middle of an uncertain situation? How could we have understanding in the middle of uncertainty? It's only because God gives us a supernatural ability that goes beyond our understanding. Can I tell you something? Prayer is not about moving God's perspective to see mine. Prayer is about moving my perspective to see God's. And I think sometimes we get get caught up in thinking that prayer is getting God to see it our way, right? So we only pray When we want God to see it our way, like God, I really need this job or God. I really need blessing or God. I really need this. So let me pray so that you will see it my way. And that's not what prayer is about. Prayer is not about getting God to see it your way. Prayer is the way of God getting you to see it his way. I love this quote from CS Lewis. I want to, I want to read to you. And again, it's just, it gives you a real understanding of prayer. He says, I pray because I can't help myself. I can't help myself. That's how I'm at in this season of my life. When I wake up and I haven't had prayer time, I know it. I have to get to it. He says, I pray because I'm helpless. There's nothing I can do. How many of you, I know I have situations. How many of you have situations that there's nothing you can do? We're in a weird season right now where there's a lot of things happening and there's nothing, my hands are tied. There's nothing I can do. So when I'm helpless, I run to prayer. I pray because the need flows out of me all the time. It's just natural, waking and sleeping. And then here's my favorite part. He says, it does not change God it changes me. And that's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying right off the bat, the very first foundation, I've written this letter and I've said a lot of things that are powerful to you, but above all things, the number one thing is pray about everything because it doesn't change God, it changes me. So number one, pray about everything. The second thing that Paul tells us is to think on these things. So number one, pray about everything. Number two, think on these things. let's pick up Philippians chapter four, and we're going to read verses eight through nine. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Think about these things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. So Paul's saying this, look, Paul's saying, don't think like you think, think like God thinks, right? Whatever is, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, these are all attributes of God. So he's saying, don't, don't be tempted to think like we think. And, and I get it, and I, I fall I fall prey to it all the time, that there's, there's moments where I want to think like Troy thinks, I want to think like flesh thinks, I want to think like sin thinks. And Paul's saying, don't do that, think on these things, Think like God thinks. There was this movie that came out a while back and they, they kind of did a, a new version of it. Uh, the, the first one had Mel Gibson and, and it had to do where he could hear the thoughts of a woman. I think it was like what woman want. And then they came out with a newer version with uh, Taraj B. Henson, P. Henson and it was think like a man or, or, or what what a man wants. And so it was kind of the reverse version but both movies had the idea that, that Mel Gibson or Miss Henson, whatever, whoever the star was could hear the voices of the opposite sex. And so they already knew how to operate based off the voices that they could hear. And when I thought like this, when I I, I heard this, think on such things, I had this like illustration in my mind of what if the word of God was just constantly on a wheel in our mind, right? And we're not being able to hear the voices of every male in the world, or we're not able to hear the voices of every female in the world. Although that would change the way you operate, right? If you could hear how your wife thinks, or how your husband thinks, or how your daughter or your son thinks, or your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your mom or your dad, whatever, if you could hear those thoughts, it would change the way you act, wouldn't it? Because you can't think one thing and experience a different thing. And so Paul's saying, if you're gonna think on something, think like God thinks. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, have those things going on in your mind so that you will act according to. To those things. Our actions are propelled by our thoughts. And so Paul saying, don't think like you. Can, can I just set you free for a moment? Do not think like you. Think like God. Now here's here's the unique thing about these two verses, especially Philippians 4.8, is it there's it's so rich. There's so much information in it, so much wisdom in it, that I could I could probably do an eight-week series on just that verse. And so I want to encourage you to do something because there, because I don't have the time to go as deep into that one verse as I could. There is a book out there called The 4-8 Principle by Tommy Newberry the 4-8 principle, and he just breaks it down. And I encourage you, if this is something that you really struggle with, if you're constantly fighting your thoughts and, and so on, I encourage you to go get that book and read it. it. It'll change your life. I've read it two or three times now. I have it in my library, the 4-8 principle by Tommy Newberry. Uh, again, I can't go through all that he says, but I'll give you just a couple highlights of some things he says to give you an idea of where he's going. So, so one of the first things he talks about is this, always be thinking on God. And that's kind of what he's talking about, your intake. Always be thinking on God. If you're going to think on something, think on his scripture. If you're going to think on something, think on his blessings. If you're going to think about something, think about how good he is. If, if It's kind of the concept of if you were going to go to a buffet, which I get it, they're all closed right now. But if you were going to go to a buffet and you're going to choose what you put on the plate, right? You're going to be like, oh man, I want I want a lot of that, or I don't want any of that. or And that's what he's saying. He's saying when you get ready to fill your mind with something make sure that the plate is filled with thoughts about God. Make sure that the plate is filled with positive, noble, right, praiseworthy thoughts. That's what he's talking about. Be thinking on God. The next thing he says is this, is he says, starve negative thoughts. So so your plate is filled with positive thoughts, thoughts about God. And he's saying, starve yourself of negative thoughts. Think, Think about your favorite buffet for a second. I'm trying to, I, I have, I have many, which doesn't speak well about my health, but every buffet that I love, there's certain items that I will not touch. They don't look right. You're not really sure what they're made of. There was a, the Chinese buffet I used to go to in Memphis all the time and they had this stick with chicken on it and the chicken was red. And I used to never get that because I'm, chicken's not red. I've never seen red chicken. And so there's just certain things that you just like, I'm not touching that. And this is what Tommy Newberry saying. And this is what Paul's saying is there's certain thoughts that you just should never touch especially right now I, with coronavirus and uh, there's there's so many opinions out there and thoughts out there that are negative and paul's saying starve yourself of those fill yourself up with god thoughts starve yourself of negative thoughts so so, so again you see it in what paul's saying in philippians 4:8, and you get it you get where tommy newberry has developed it into point one and point two so you you always think on god you starve yourself of negative thoughts. And then he says, develop new habits that protect you. And what he means is put in a, a system, a practice, a protocol that keeps the system that you've developed of thinking on God and starving thoughts that are not of God. Put in some guardrails that keep that system in your life. What are some practical things? Number one, read your Bible more, right? How, how could we ever think on God if we're not reading about God? Starve, how do I starve negative thoughts? Be careful of what you watch. Be careful of what you listen to. Listen to podcasts. And when you do, listen to godly podcasts and not gossip podcasts. You know, these are just practical ways of things that you can put in your life that, again, make you think on God and starve negative thoughts. That's what Paul's saying. Think about such things. And then let's look again at Philippians 4, nine. He says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me. So Paul's telling them, whatever you've seen me do or heard me do, put these, watch this, into practice so now he's moved from thinking it to living it so it's not just think it live it because again like I said you can't think one thing and experience another whatever you think is what you'll do and so he says start thinking about these things and then put them into practice I love that word practice because I think a lot of us hear a, hear a statement like that or or an idea like think on these things and we immediately throw up the white flag and we immediately say I've tried it I can't can't control my mind. You know, one minute I'm here, one minute I'm there. I wake up and these thoughts are just automatic. They just come to me and so and so on. And, and I believe you and I've experienced it too. But Paul's very specific in the word practice. And I want to give you an illustration to what I mean. There's not many four-year-old children who can swim. But when Casey Ray was born, we noticed that she, she that little like piece of you that has that gives you natural fear of things, she doesn't have. And so if she walks up and sees a a crab on the beach, she just tries to grab it. If she sees a snake in the garden, she just tries to reach out for it. When she sees a pool, she just goes to jump in. Like she doesn't have that natural fear that makes her hesitant. And me and Darla picked up on that pretty early. And so we realized what we can't do is we can't constantly be worried about her when we're around a pool. Her, Her big sister loves to swim. We love to swim. And so what we decided to do As we took her and i'm sure there's you guys have heard of this and there's certainly better words for it but a a a program where where she's taught as an infant to swim and it was tough to watch i mean it it was an experience but it was a lot of practice and we would my my wife would take her week after week after week and i think it was a couple of months long and they took my four-year-old daughter she may have been three at that time honestly and they walked her through how to swim and she experienced it and she practiced, she practiced, she practiced. Some of you are like Alan Iverson, you're like, practice? It's an inside joke. If you, don't, if you don't watch basketball, you don't know that. She would practice and practice and practice and she got good at it to where now, when people see her swim, they're amazed by it. They're like, oh wow, look at her, look at her swim. And it, it's, it's, it's something happening in the human mind that goes, that, that shouldn't be possible, but it is possible. How is it possible? by practice. If you've ever thought to yourself, it's not possible for me to tame this thing. This thing has a mind of its own. It just, it just goes here, goes there. It's not possible. Paul says it is possible, but it's going to take practice. So number one, pray about everything. And number two, think about these things. The third thing that Paul says is be content with anything, right? So so number one, pray about everything. Number two, think about these things. And then number three, be content with anything. So let's pick up Philippians chapter four, verse 10. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord, that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. So powerful. He goes on to say, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. So Paul says, I'm content either way. I, I know how to be content with a lot and I know how to be content with a little. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all of this through him who gives me strength. Here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying that you and I have to find the way, the ability to be content with where God has us right now. It was funny, I was hanging out with my kids the other day and they were trying to watch a show on Disney Plus or Netflix, whatever it was. And it, it had a moment, the internet was a little, little spotty and it started to load. And they just lost it, right? They're like, oh, it's taking forever. And I think it took like you know 3.5 seconds. And so I'm watching this and I sat down, I said, hey, let me just take a moment because they were watching a movie. I said, let, let me explain to you you know, years ago what I would have had to do to watch a movie because you had to get my phone, open up an app, pick from a hundred variety of shows and then within seconds your show was playing and you are discontent right now. So, So let me explain to you what I had to do. First of all, if I wanted to watch a movie, right, it had to be a time where I was able to drive and go somewhere because I had to get up, put clothes on and go to the local Blockbuster video, right? And then you walk in the Blockbuster video and it's crowded and you, you you got hundreds of different movies you can pick from. And so you're going over and you're trying to find the movie based off of the little little box that the movie came in and the picture of it. And, and just because you find the picture, like oh, there it is. Just because you find the picture doesn't even mean that you get the movie. Because the picture could be there, but the movie was always behind it, right? So they might have two or three copies behind it. So if it's just the picture box and no movie, you're out of luck. And now you got to go to Hollywood video or to everybody's last choice movie gallery and you go in there and now you're looking for the movie there and you find the movie, then you got to go get in line and the lines long because it's the only place that anybody can get a movie from. And you're standing in line, you're being tempted by goobers and popcorn. And then you get, up to the counter and you're expecting to pay three 99, you know, and they say it's $37 because you have late fees from the last movie you rented. And by the time you shell out $37 and get back in your car and drive all the way back to your house and you get home, it's been an hour and now you don't even want to watch the movie. And so you lay the movie on the counter and you forget about the movie. And before you know it, you have more late fees. And they were both like, I was like, exactly. That's what you get. Right? How can you be discontent right now? when that's what I used to have to deal with. And then I know generations before me are like, you don't even want to get us started on what we had to do to watch a movie. Think about it like this. We live in a culture that breeds discontentment. So we've never had so much, but enjoyed so little because we're just in this discontent culture. And so I really started thinking this through and going, all right, what does it mean to be content? I know Webster has a definition, but for us, For Christians, for what Paul's talking about, what does it mean to be content? And I came up with this like victory church definition. You ready? Content is being in the present with a godly perspective. Being in the present moment with a godly perspective. Believing that no matter what's going on around me, God has a purpose for it. Being content with the job I have, being content with the money I have, being content with the influence I have, being content with where I am right now in this season and trying to see God's purpose for it. Being content. Now, I don't know if you noticed, Paul's talking about being content. And then he says in verse 13, did you see that? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, that's one of those most famous verses that Paul says. You see it on gym walls all the time. The guy who's about to bench press 500 pounds is like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And he lifts it up and throws it off. And everybody's like, yeah, that's what Paul meant. That's not what Paul meant. When Paul said that, he was talking about being content. Check this out. Paul says, hey, if I'm going to be content in this season, If I'm going to believe that God has a purpose for right now, if I'm going to have godly perspective in this present moment, I need the strength of God to help me do it. Do you see that? We live in this culture, I like to call it the cancel culture, where the moment we become discontent, we change. if, If we're uncomfortable, we just do something else. If all of a sudden we become discontent in our marriage, we just find a different one. If we become discontent with our job, we just find a different one. If we become discontent with our church, we just find a different one. And that's just the kind of the attitude that we've been taught, the pattern we've been taught, that if we become discontent, we should just go find something else that gives us comfort for a moment until eventually, guess what? We're discontent again. And Paul says, don't do that. Paul says, pray and seek the spirit of God, that the strength of God would come and give you the ability to be content in this season. It's not gonna always be like that. You're not always going to to be at that job or be at that position or have that money or fight about that. There's a process where God can deliver you and promote you, I get that. But in this season, ask for this perspective of God so that you can see what God's doing in this season and don't just throw it away, don't just change, but say, God, what's the purpose of this? Give me your strength so I can be content. What if Philippians 4.13 isn't about, oh, I I can't dunk, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me so that I can dunk. What if it's no, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me that makes me content with the fact that I can't dunk, but I can hit a good three-point shot. You see what I mean? Being content with where I am in my present moment because I have the perspective of God. And so Paul's telling the church in Philippi, be content with where we are. Be content with what we have. Be content in this season. And if you are struggling with it, do it through the strength of Christ. Let the strength of Christ be in you and give you the strength to be content in this season. So Paul says, number three, be content in anything. The fourth thing that Paul says is to be in need for nothing. So again, starts off, number one, pray about everything. Number two, think about these things. Number three, be content with anything. And then number four, be in need for nothing. Right? So here we go. We're going to pick up at Philippians 4, verse 14, and we'll read all the way through. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church share with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. So Paul says, when I was doing all this, nobody was giving towards my ministry, nobody was accepting me except you, the church in Philippi. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts, what I desire is that more be credited to your account. So he's saying, look, I don't want you to keep giving so that I can keep giving your gifts because God takes care of me. You need to keep giving because it's credited to your account because God sees you giving towards the kingdom of God. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. He's saying, Epaphroditus, who you sent, gave me your resource and it was a blessing to me. And my God will meet, watch this, and my God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. So now that you've met my needs, God will turn around and meet your needs. We've always said this in Victory. We talk about being a generous church and that we give away 20% of our income to, to different missionaries and different community events because we believe that as long as we're giving to the kingdom of God, that God will take care of our needs. And we have testimonies galore of people in our church who, whether it was purpose prevails or tithing and offering or whatever, that they can say, I gave to God and God's taking care of me. I'm passionate about it. He finishes in verse 20, To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And then he has a final greetings. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brother and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. And Paul finishes his letter. And the last part he wants them to understand is that be in need for nothing. Now now check this out, Paul's writing this letter knowing, first of all, that they're a generous church, they're a service-minded church, they're a diverse church, that they're doing the work of the Lord, that they're always looking for ways to give and always looking for ways to serve. And Paul knows that about them. But Paul doesn't know how much longer he'll be alive. Paul may not make it out of jail in this particular situation in his mind. He doesn't know how long he could live. So in his mind, he could be writing to them for the very last time. And what he's telling them is this, keep giving to the kingdom of God because as long as you're giving to the kingdom of God with your money, with your with your service, with your prayers, as long as you are serving the body of God, then God will meet your need. You know, probably about, well, I guess over the past 15 years or so, Darla and I have been blessed to be able to go on multiple missions trips. But our very first missions trip was to Jamaica. And it was by far, I guess what you would say, one of the toughest trips that we took. Just because of how how poverty stricken the area of Jamaica that we were in was, the particular place that we stayed in didn't have any air conditioner. Um, it, it was by an ocean, but the ocean had crabs that would come out of it that were literally the size of this table I'm sitting beside it. They, put it this way: they could be touching the ground and their claw could be touching the seat of a bench. That's how big they were, right? It was it was insane how big they were. Uh, again, no power. It was hot, you know animals and insects everywhere you know the the food was not obviously what we would get at a restaurant but even that was considered a, a high quality area and, and what we were there for is we would do tent revivals and we would preach at night. We would go to school during the day and minister to the kids. And then we would have these outreaches where we provide food and we provide you know medical care and uh, eye tests and all kinds of different things. And it was an incredible experience. It's, it's one of the reasons why I believe that one of the values of our church should be to do missions trips because our kids and and we we personally should always see what's happening in different countries and so on. But, but one of the things that really blew my mind while i was there was how content the people of jamaica were you know i mean i remember talking to people and and they would they had four concrete walls with holes in the concrete to to be a window and some of them didn't have a roof at all or some of them had a piece of tin that was over the roof all of them had dirt bed floors there were no fans. There were no TVs. There were no iPhone chargers by the side of the, you know, side of the bed. But they were so content that they, they loved the Lord. When we would do these tent revivals, people would walk for miles to come and just hear the word of God preached. When we would hang out with the kids, I've told this story to our church before. When we would show up to the school to do, to do ministry, the school was locked. The gates were locked and the teachers were running late and the kids were standing at the gate waiting for the school to open. Is that not the craziest thing you've ever heard? If you did that in America today, the kids would be out, right? They'd just deuces, I'm gone. But these kids were so hungry for knowledge that they sat there hour, two hours and waited for the teachers to get there when they were ready. We were driving down a road one time And one guy kept coming out of his house and putting objects in the road because it was a dirt road. And if he didn't put objects in the road, people would fly down the road and it would cause the dirt and dust to go in the air and into his house because he didn't have doors and he didn't have windows. And again, it was such a a mind blowing experience for me because on one hand, these people had nothing. They had nothing, especially when you compare it to what we have. When I, you know, again, I was only a few days removed from my normal life of sleeping in a bed with air conditioner and TV and running water and water coming out of the fridge and ice and all these different things. And now I'm in these, this culture and they have none of that, but they were either as content as I was or even more content than I was. And I remember I had this thought for a second and I felt the Holy Spirit tell me this. He said, I know you're content with God. I I know you're in a place where you are not in need. In your home in America but could you be in that place mentally here could, could I be content in Jamaica could, could I be at a place where I'm not in need if all I had was four walls and holes cut out for windows it was such a such a mind-boggling experience for me and it was a spiritual experience for me and, and I'll never forget it and every missions trip that I have the opportunity to go on, I would jump at the opportunity because I wanted that perspective And ever since then, I've always kind of wrestled with the idea of how can I ever get to a place where I am in need of nothing? Because when we hear that, I think a lot of us go, I disagree. I don't think I could ever get to that place. Or we think that the answer is to get all that we need, because if we get all that we need, then we'll be in need of nothing or to get to a place where where having things are our bad thing. And we begin to we want to get to a place where we neglect having things so that we will be in need for nothing. And I don't think Paul is saying any of that. I think what Paul is saying is you have to rewind to Philippians chapter four in the beginning and walk through what he said. And he says, listen, church in Philippi, I need you to get to a place where you are in need of nothing. But in order to do that, it starts with praying about everything. Until you start praying about everything, you can never get into a place where you are in need of nothing. And once you're praying, watch this, once you're praying and you're praying about everything, Now start thinking about these things. So now we're praying and we're studying the word of God, right? Because the only way we can think on those things is if we're finding it in God's word. So we're praying about everything and we are thinking about the things of God. And then along with that, you become content with everything anything. Be content with where God has you. Are you following with me? If we're praying about everything, and if we're thinking about the things of God, and if we are seeing God's perspective in the present that we're in, that right there transforms the way we think. It transforms our perspective where we can really be in a place where we are in need of nothing. You know, the other night, Obviously, the past few months have been very, very different for my family and I and, of course, for your families. And one of the things that we made sure, Darla and I made sure to do during this time is is we got a couple of things for our back porch. And we really fixed our back porch as a place where we could spend time with our girls. And we had dinner at our outside little table on our back porch. And then we had this swing that some friends in our church bought for us. And it was, we put the kids to bed and we came back out and we're on the swing and we're just swinging and our back porch probably isn't 20 feet by 20 feet. I don't, I don't know how big it is, a little concrete slab. We live in a townhouse and we're just in that swing and we're just swinging. And just for a moment, it felt good outside. And I just remember for a moment that I was so content and, and I was in need for nothing. And believe me, I would have loved to have a pool in the backyard and I'd, I'd love to have more money. I'd love to be traveling. I'd love to be doing this or that. But for that moment, I was in need for nothing. And I think that's the spirit that Paul wants us to get to. Be in such a confident place with Christ where I am where I talk to him about everything, where I'm constantly thinking the way he thinks and where I am not only proud and, and excited and, and, ex, and have expectation for where I am, but I am content with where I am. And if I can do those things, then I can sit back and be in need For nothing. What a timely word to us from Paul. I just pray you wrote those four things down. I pray you'd begin to pray over them. We have our prayer and reading plan that'll go out this week that reiterates those things. Make those four things staple in your personal life and in your family life. And I'm telling you, it'll transform your spiritual walk. You'll find yourself at a level of maturity you've never been at because you pray about everything. You think about these things. You're content with anything and you're in need for nothing. Father, we thank you right now for your word. We thank you for these words of Paul and what they've meant to us over the past couple of weeks and that everything he spoke to the church in Philippi is exactly what we needed to hear today. And I know we're surrounded with a lot of information and some people are experiencing hate, some people are experiencing fear, some people don't know what to experience. And if there's anything that we can do, we can always run back to your word. We can always run back to exactly what Paul's saying. We can start to pray. Every person that's listening to me right now, I just pray they'd hear your word say, start to pray. Start to pray about everything. Then start reading your word and think about the scriptures. Think about what God's saying. Find yourself content in this season and ask God to give you his perspective in this present. And then sit back and enjoy the peace of God and say, I am in need of nothing. Father, we thank you for your word. We love you.